This is episode 228 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, Never Be Situation Unaware, and 10 Signs Your Canned Food Has Spoiled. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you are receiving value from the podcast, we do appreciate your kind reviews. So I don't know if you heard about what happened in Hawaii on Saturday. I mean, of course, if you're not looking, if, you, if you're so busy and you don't have time to you know, be on social media or look at some alternative news sites or things like that, or even watch the news, you probably missed it. But there was an emergency alert that went out in Hawaii about a ballistic missile uh, attack that was going on. And uh, this was like no joke. You know, we, we recently we talked about the emergency alert system that comes over your phone and that the president could use if the president needed to, to let everyone know something, you know, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you've been in uh, a room of people when the, and the Amber Alert goes off, like when a kid is missing and they send out an Amber Alert and everybody's phone goes off at the same time. Well, that kind of alert went off in Hawaii, woke people up in the morning, Saturday morning, letting them know that there was an emergency, a ballistic missile was incoming, that they needed to seek shelter right away. And for it was like went off about 38 minutes. It was crazy. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to that. Uh, you know, I, you can go, of course, there's conspiracy theories and, and uh, a lot of things out there. I've even posted a thing on uh, Prepper website from Market Ticker, uh, from, you know, from the guy over at MarketTicker.org and who uh, talked a little bit about that. But, uh, you know, I received a, a message on, on Facebook about that from Randy, who's in Hawaii, and I wanted to share that with you really quick. Hello, Todd. My name is Randy, and I listen to you on TuneIn Radio. All is well here in Hawaii, although I'm sure the traumatic effect of a ballistic missile attack alert has others feeling not so well in Hawaii and abroad. I've been meaning to drop you a line in regards to how much I value or how much value I find in listening to your podcast. I've been listening regularly for quite a few months now and would like to thank you for the time and effort you put into communicating information that helps people become more aware of what we can do to help ourselves prepare to be more self-reliant. Because of you, I am more prepared today than I was several months ago, and I look forward to improving my preparedness with each podcast you produce. Today's sobering experience brought to the forefront missing pieces to my preparedness plan. I see the importance of being able to communicate with others to relay information and gather information. I feel I have what I need to stay in place and also what I need to travel to another location in an emergency. It sounds silly, but it brings to mind a movie quote I used to share with my kids to make them laugh. It's from Over the, Over the Hedge, where the hibernating bear is woken up by a raccoon, and in their conversation, the bear tells the raccoon in regards to his love for potato chips, enough is never enough. At the time, it sounds silly, but in retrospect, coming from a bear who has to prepare for hunkering down for the winter, I get it. But I digress. This missile alert is a learning tool. My top takeaways, but not limited to, from this experience. Number one, where do I shelter? People seeking shelter in concrete business structures were turned away when these structures 
were put in lockdown. Number two, locating other family members. Difficult if you're out and about or at work. Does everyone know where to meet up? And if you only have a short time period to respond to a threat, how do you communicate your whereabouts or do you skip that part and go straight to self-preservation? Number three, with an action plan in place, will you be able to execute the actions or will you be stuck with analysis paralysis? The things that must go through one's mind when determining what action to take, what orders to, what order to them in uh, a certain action deemed necessary in regards to changing threat conditions, analyzing what needs to be done to the point where it takes up so much time that no action is taken in a reasonable amount of time. Just a few of my takeaways from this experience. I look forward to filling my preparedness gaps and enhancing my preparedness proficiencies with the information that you kindly present to us with each podcast. Keep up the good work, Todd. Yours is truly the hand of God. Sincerely, Randy. P.S. In regards to your delicious potato chips of preparedness goodness, enough is never enough. All right, Randy. Uh, thanks for your insight there, man. I appreciate your kind words. You know, some of those things you have to work out as a family and you have to just kind of uh, figure out what is, is going to be the plan, what is going to be the, the how you communicate and how you do things, you know, and I can see possibly where you're out and about. Of course, you might want everyone to come home as fast as you can and depending on where you are in Hawaii, you know, on the islands and things like that could mean so much, so many different things, but uh, you know, you definitely, as I know that as a father, I want my whole family with me. You know, I want everybody there. Uh, who knows what would happen if there was, truly was a, a, a ballistic missile was to hit. You know, who knows, you know, what would happen at that point. But, you know, the the goal what I would want in a perfect world is to have everybody there. But what do you do, like, uh, like Randy's saying, what do you do with, if there is that big old threat that goes on and you're not very, you know, not everyone is, is at home. And, and how do you communicate? And maybe, you know, by text is like, hey, I, I found this place and that, you know, I'm going to I'm going to hunker here, hunker down here until the threat is over with or we get hit by the missile or whatever. And then I'm going to make it home as soon as I can. And maybe, you know, that's that's kind of the deal. But maybe some backups to the backups. And you have those ideas that everybody knows what the plan is going to be or where the meetup place is going to be, uh, you know, in case something like that happens. And so, yeah, there was a lot of things going on. I know that there's been already some articles written. I know that Daisy Luther over at Organic Prepper has written some articles already on uh, this scenario and, and other people have as well. But um, it was a pretty serious situation. I was looking at articles that said, uh, well, just in, in like off Drudge Report and stuff like that, that Parents were putting their kids in, in storm drains, and uh, there was a lot of crying and, and people freaking out and upset and, and all those kinds of things. And anyway, there's a lot of conspiracy theory stuff on that. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? I, I know that just uh, before I got on to start recording, I saw on Twitter where the people who were responsible for pushing the button, pushing the quote-unquote button, uh, whatever that means... Uh, that they have been reassigned. So I, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of things to consider that. But Randy, I do appreciate your... Uh, I do appreciate the fact that you are learning from that situation, right? It's one thing I'm sure that after you know everything kind of calms down and everyone takes a deep breath, it's like, okay, what did we learn from this situation? In, in, in the midst of everything that was going down, in those few minutes where you saw that alert, and he's like, man, this is no joke... You know, what kind of like what was going in your mind? What did you want to make sure that you uh, could handle and you can do? And then you kind of go from there. 
And so you have an opportunity to learn a big, big lesson from there, as well as a lot of other people as well. And hopefully we do take that into consideration. You know, what would happen? I know the Houston area, maybe not Houston uh, directly, but we have the port of Houston that is a very big port. I think it's like the second or third biggest port in the whole United States. We have refineries down uh, you know, uh, along the, the port and all those kinds of things down there. And so we know that all those areas would be hit. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not right in the middle of Houston, but I am in the suburbs. And so, you know, that is a that is a thing to consider that people say that the Houston area would, would get hit in something like that in the nuclear, uh, you know, showdown with, with a country that was to fire off a bunch of missiles. I do want to say uh, thanks to Randy for for sending the uh, the, the the message. Right, I was going to say email, but this was I guess again on Facebook, and just the message. And uh, it is encouraging uh, the encouraging words. And guys, I got to be honest, and not to not because I'm I'm trying to seek out people just sending me you know words and, and notes, and and sometimes I don't read all of them. I, I do appreciate it because sometimes it's just kind of like do you wonder like is anybody really getting value from from what you're doing. I mean, you're you're putting you're spending time out there doing it, and uh, you know I'm trying to make it better. Even to the past where I was, uh, I would record and then upload it, man. I mean that's that's where I was. That's what I was doing, and uh, because it was just I was trying to get under a certain amount of time to keep it to where you know I didn't lose my my, my so much sleep and and all those all those different kinds of things because you know it is a five day a week. Uh, thing and I do have a full-time job and and other things you know prepper website and all the other things uh, and so sometimes you do wonder like man is anyone really getting any value from it so it's very encouraging when I hear from from you out there and uh, do a, a appreciate it and I again I'm not saying that because I want everyone you know listening to send me an email and and, and all that kind of stuff I'm not ser- searching for that but it is uh, it is a blessing and it does help when I when I hear things like that. So Randy, thanks so much for that. I appreciate it and, and thanks for uh, sharing the lessons that you learned. Hey, if you are on Facebook and you you do go to social media, I did create. I talked about this on the Friday podcast, I believe. Uh, I did create a Facebook page called the Alt News Hub, and that is a page on Prepper website that you can go it's the second most viewed page uh, on the website and people go and I have a bunch of uh, feeds from different websites alternative news websites and uh, it just updates every single day Uh, actually it just updates probably every hour every couple of hours as new feeds are there and so I kind of took that uh, information those feeds and even more so and I have them directly going into uh, the alt news hub page on Facebook and uh, been uh, kind of you know sharing it out out there to people and and uh, it has been growing and so I'm glad of that and uh, you know there's just new articles that are being posted all throughout the day and it is automatic and the way Facebook um, I mean, I really wasn't going to talk about this, but, you know, maybe I should jump on and talk just a little bit about this. After I put this out, uh, after I created this page and spent the time to kind of send the feeds over to this page, so it just works automatically. It's not something that I'm I'm pushing the button every single day or every single post that goes up. Um, Facebook put out a thing that they were going to start changing your feed uh, and, and what you saw. And so... Uh, 
it's supposed to be a positive change for people that are the end users. So if you just get on Facebook and you're like you're wanting to see what's going on with your family and friends and those kinds of things, that you know you're not going to really see a big change. Actually, it might get better for you. The problem is going to be is that if you use Facebook and and uh, you know yeah Facebook for you know finding out information like you know other uh, you you have a lot of pages that you have liked and you you want to get the information that they share out you're not going to see them as readily anymore in your newsfeed you're going to have to actually go to their page or you're going to have to go up to the top of their page that says where it says following and make sure that you're notified of that because Facebook is going to has has made the decision to kind of stop uh, you know, stop stop you from seeing that in your newsfeed. So you're going to have to be very very purposeful about that. And so there was some discussion on that that there are people who have built their their livelihoods that people that have been built their websites around Facebook and the traffic that Facebook can generate. And I've always always said, I mean, we we use Facebook. I use Facebook. It is kind of like almost a necessary evil. There are, there are some people out there uh, in the past. I know that when I started Prepper Website, they were, they were very, very much against social media. But since then, they have, you know, uh, created their own page and they don't be and, and on their own Twitter handle and things like that. They don't really push it so hard, but they realize that it is a necessary evil, that there are people out there that consume information that way. And so they did wind up making their own pages and things like that and um, you know are sending are sending information to Facebook but the the big deal and the problem is that Facebook is a business and it is owned by Facebook and people have built their their businesses around uh, using and promoting their products on Facebook and now if they don't pay for it they're not going to get the benefit of that anymore and uh, I'm just very grateful that I don't depend on Facebook or Twitter to uh, you know to to really uh, to get the traffic for Prepper website. I mean, people go to Prepper website because they know that there's good information there. And so you, you have that. Twitter just recently, they uh, they announced that, oh, actually it was an investigative uh, journalism piece by, uh, I, I think, O'Keefe, right? The same guy who did the Planned Parenthood. He went undercover and all that kind of stuff. And uh, they had a, a, a programmer that he was uh, kind of like in, investigating and this programmer admitted that they do shut down conservative uh, thoughts and, and, and conservative Twitter handles and things like that. And there's no really uh, rhyme or reason to it. They can just cut you off you know, if they want. And some of the bigger uh, Twitter handles and, and people who, who have a big, big following, you know, they can kind of make a stink because this has happened on YouTube as well. Uh, you know, there's been some Christian... Uh, Christian podcasters and Christian radio hosts who have uh, had their YouTube channels shut down, but because of the, uh, you know, because of their following, uh, they were, you know, they were able to make a, a big enough noise, I guess, out there that YouTube, you know, brought their channel back up. And, and of course, it's always like, oh, it was a mistake. We didn't mean to do this, blah, 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 whatever. The fact is, is that all these guys, all these businesses uh, or, or Facebook and Twitter, all these social media, they all are owned by you know someone by a corporation, and they can pull the strings. And so you you know that's kind of scary sometimes because yeah, if you've built your business around that, then you are at the mercy of these people and getting your information out there unless you're winding up or, or ready to pay. 
And the other, the other thing of that is that if they can control so much of that, then they can control what you see. They can control what, you know, what comes up in your feed every so often. And, you know, that, that's, I guess to, to me, that's just not a good thing where, where it's, they can control that because then, you know, you're seeing what they want you to see and not what really truly you want to see. And so, I, again, it's a necessary evil. Some of you listening are like, man, that's why I don't even do social media. Completely understand that. Um, there is some benefit to it, like I said, out there. I love connecting with you people out there. And, and definitely, like, if you're part of the Facebook group, you're not going to be affected because when you're part of a group, you get a notification when there is uh, when somebody posts or something like that. Uh, somebody answers or leaves a comment and, and you know, you, you get... Uh, notified so uh, the groups aren't necessarily going to be hindered uh, so you can always come over to the Facebook group and uh, make sure that you're part of that as well that that's that's part of it but then make sure that you are part of the email list I I definitely try I don't spam I don't send out almost every week uh, I you know if, if I do get something that I think is valuable something that I think that I would want to know uh, or something that I would want to see. I, I sift through a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, a lot of stuff doesn't make it on on a Prepper website, and a lot of stuff doesn't make it to the podcast. But there's there's some cool stuff on there that I think other people would want to see, and so sometimes I do share that on the email list, and then I, I do share other things that uh, you know other offers and things like that. But that is a way that I can really communicate with you that cannot be shut down by. Uh, any you know any business the email list is something that uh, it you know it does sit on another host on another server uh, I do use MailChimp so I guess they could theoretically uh, shut it down but then they would be losing the money because I do pay for the the use of that of, of their services but the other thing is is that I can download my email list every so often and so it, even if that was to uh, shut down I can still email the list just going through my my regular uh, email uh, email provider and uh, if I needed to get information out there. But anyway, so you know a lot of things there uh, in talking about. Uh, I guess the, the reason I brought that all that stuff up was because of the Alt News Hub. I created this, and then on Friday, you know, uh, Facebook. You start hearing about Facebook making the changes, but. Uh, if you do go to Alt News Hub, and I do have a link in uh, in the show notes that you can go do it, just go up to the following. So right underneath the banner of the Alt News Hub on Facebook, there's a little there's a little uh, button that says following, and then you can uh, you can change uh, change the the setting to say in your news feed you can say uh, see first, and then you can also get notifications. Uh, you can get notifications like of going live and videos and events and things like that, or you can uh, you can turn all that off. Uh, but you know there's ways to to still see it, and then of course you can always go over there and visit it when you go to Facebook and and just see if there's any alternative news stories that are uh, you know interesting to you because there's just so much information out there and you really aren't being told uh, what's going on. The mainstream media, I mean, I guess. And, and those of you that are listening, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. Uh, that is not something that you are not unaware of. That the mainstream media is very, very slanted, and uh, you know they they go one way. And so you really need to, if you're going to be aware, prepped and aware, 
you really need to uh, have other sources, um, not only like this podcast, but other sources that you can hear from that uh, will, will tell you what's going on there. So uh, you'll be just you know informed of what's going on in the world because uh, things can change very, very quickly. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our articles. I know it kind of went long there uh, at, at the beginning. Uh, our first article comes to us from theprepperjournal.com, and this article is entitled Never Be Situation Unaware. I think it's a great article for anyone who uh, goes out in public, really. You know, this one is written in mind because uh, the author, uh, it's, a, it's a guest contributor, but uh, the author has a, a child that's going off to to college and uh, you know that's always kind of a scary thing your your kid you know you feel like you can protect them when they're with you but they're going away to a different city and they're going to be far away from you and you you try to instill all the things that they need to know but you uh, you're concerned about them and you want to make sure that they uh, are safe and uh, this is one thing that you want to definitely instill in them how to be situationally aware so let's go ahead and read this one on a warm spring night, after eating dinner with friends and deciding to do a little late-night dancing, a young lady walks across the top floor of a well-lit parking garage. She's tired, worn out from the night of dancing, and to help combat her fatigue, one hand is carrying a latte from the local late-night coffee joint down the road, while her other hand fumbles in her purse. Since it's the top floor of the garage, there are few really good places to mount a security camera. So the ones that do exist are not able to capture much outside of the fact that behind her, a black-clad man with his hood up approaches her from behind as she unlocks her car door and attacks. Within seconds, he slams the back of her head, knocking her unconscious with his blow, if not with the ricochet of her head against the roof of the car. Picking up her keys off the ground, throwing her inside the car, he's driving off through the garage and is out of camera range very quickly to do, well, just about anything he wants. While this is a fictional situation, it's the kind of thing that I'm starting to think about now that my daughter is going to be attending college in the big city. She has basic skills in martial arts and an interest based on an activity that I requ required of her when she was a young teen, but doesn't have a firearm and doesn't carry any weapons in her purse. What can she do to prevent this kind of attack? Three ways to discourage street attacks. Number one is situational awareness and mindfulness. Millennials often get a bad rap for being too tied into their phone, but it's not only them. People of every age do it, and they need to be aware of the risk of making their way through life oblivious to those around them. In a world where any kind of media is immediately available through so many channels, it's easy to put your headphones in and enjoy a little entertainment on those lonely walks down the streets. I love podcasts myself, and I know how easy it is to get lost in what the hosts are discussing and become engrossed to the point of making secondary the thoughts about where you are, where you're going, where you planned on do what you planned on doing, and how you're getting there. Situational awareness is simply the act of being constantly aware of what is happening around you. It is essential in any kind of potentially dangerous situation to be mindful of what is happening around you, keeping a clear head. Focusing on the present situation and your present environment. Use as many of your senses as you can. Listen to the ambient sounds. Notice the smells of your environment. Put your eyes and your head on a swivel, looking behind you every 30 seconds or so, and more often if entering a new environment. I use the word mindful in the last paragraph because mindfulness is becoming a part of the zeitgeist of modern life as well. 
This age-old concept is very simply a set of techniques designed to help you focus on the present moment and what is happening around you, very similar to situational awareness. Looking up some simple mindfulness exercises like leaves on a stream or even practicing basic meditation is a good way to help build your tolerance for long periods of being in the moment. In the above situation, this young lady who was attacked likely had no idea that there was someone else on the roof of the parking garage, much less that he was following her even as closely as he would have had to in order to attack so quickly. Having no situational awareness and likely being lost in a world of her own thought or in cell phone music or audio programs was her first big mistake. Had she been looking around, aware of her situation, and perhaps even made eye contact with the attacker on her way towards her car, she may have done enough to encourage him to choose a different target. Number two, providing disinformation. If you were an attacker who wanted to prey on someone, would you choose a man or a woman to attack, young or middle-aged? Almost everyone would choose a young female. The reasons are simple. She is less likely to have any interest in martial arts or combat sports. She's probably smaller and less muscular than her male counterparts. She likely carries more cash or valuable jewelry and is stereotyped as being more naive by the media and society at large. Whether any specific female fits those categories is unimportant. It's true that the simple act of being a female makes you a bigger target. Being a young female isn't something you can control, or is it? No transgender stuff here, but it's possible, highly likely even, that the attacker in the above situation has done at least a small amount of research on this car he found on the top floor of a parking garage late at night, and it's surprising what you can figure out about someone based on their car. Does she have custom vanity license plates? If so, those are generally a strong indicator that this is a female unless the plates say something decidedly masculine like Gun Dude 8 or Prep Man. If he peeks inside and sees custom leopard print seat covers, a steering wheel cover, or fuzzy dice on the rearview mirror, then assumptions can easily be made. Other information can be gleaned as well. If he sees a Victoria's Secrets bag in your passenger seat, then what's he going to assume? The contents of your back seat can tell a lot about a person. Makeup bags, the presence of an infant car seat or a booster, bumper stickers, all of these things say something about you and help attackers decide if you're a good target. While they don't all scream female, they do all scream unfocused or having their concentration distracted by errands, a child, whatever. We are, we are all guilty of this, especially in places we have frequented where nothing has ever happened. Reality is it only has to happen once to be life-altering. The worst offenders of the car customization market are the stick figures that populate the back window of far too many cars. Sure, they're kind of cute, but they give way too much information about who you are, who is in your family, their ages, and their interests. If you have a single woman with two children on there, chances are that you're coming out to your car either alone or with two little ankle biters who are occupying all of your attention. The best tip I've heard for a single young woman who are at or women who are at risk for being attacked near their car is to give would-be attackers plenty of disinformation designed to encourage them to choose a different target. A big, well-worn pair of man's athletic shoes in the back seat or a duffel bag covered in visible weight-lifting patches and karate logos will go a long way towards indicating to any smart criminals that the person who owns this vehicle is not to be trifled with. 
Bumper stickers are also a good way to dissuade people. Pro-gun bumper stickers, particularly if they endorse concealed carry, are a good place to start as are indicators that you're interested in things like MMA, wrestling, martial arts, or bodybuilding, whether you are or not. I have heard the counter-argument that people looking for guns to steal look for cars with an NRA sticker or a U.S. Marine Corps emblem, etc. The normal pattern of such a person is to follow you home to see what house to target for a robbery when they observe you have left the premises. Yes, most people like this have gun safes, so do you put yours besides a go-to weapon in your gun safe every time you leave your house? Spiked dog collars are also a simple thing to throw in the back seat. While that might not be something that will dissuade an attacker in the aforementioned situation, it will work wonders for dissuading attackers spying on your car in a park, forest preserve, or who might be looking at your home as a potential target. Use your normal routine and patterns to decide what kinds of things you want to decorate with or stash in your car. Understanding the places where you're likely to be attacked will provide the best understanding of what will work best for you. Number three, just do it. People who prey on others are often quite a bit smarter than you might think. Most have done their homework and having looked inside your car to find evidence that you may be a very strong male or have a very large dog might be smart enough to avoid you as a potential attackee. Despite this, an often cited fact about criminals shows that most crimes that are committed in the U.S. are crimes not born from passion or careful thinking, but simply crimes of opportunity. The attacker in the situation above may have been in line behind her in the coffee shop and noticed a $100 bill in her wallet and taken the chance to follow her. He may have just been a normal guy walking to his own car when he had a desperate feeling that he could get something from her. Sometimes the criminals will ignore any evidence of misinformation you provide, or maybe they've cased your car before and seen through your deception. Sometimes you just have to fight, or at least look like you're ready for a fight. Many will advise keeping some kind of weapon in the purse, and it's hard to deny that this would be a good idea. But I would advocate that if not well trained in the use of a knife, pepper spray, a pistol, or whatever weapon might make sense for a young lady to carry, that weapon will be useless. It might also function as a distraction. Its mere existence forcing the attack person to spend valuable reaction time digging around for the weapon instead of running, adopting a defensive posture, striking back, finding some other form of help, or doing almost anything else that may be more productive in helping the situation. Instead, the simple act of looking ready for a fight is good enough. Stand up straighter when you walk, turn your head when you look, not just your eyes. Proactively say hi to people on the street to indicate that you notice them, as this can unnerve criminals who are doing their best to avoid notice. Remember that if the need arises to defend yourself, it is nearly impossible to do so without a free hand. If you carry a purse, consider keeping your hand inside as you walk, not fishing for anything but as if you're holding on to something. The fear of the known unknown weapon in your hand may do enough to scare someone off. Anyone, female or not, would also be well to consider what kinds of objects that you keep on your person and how they may be used as a weapon. Pocket knives are an obvious choice, but making a fist around your car keys creates a deadly combination of striking and slashing weapons that can do serious damage. Aerosol deodorant or hairspray is not a great choice, but it can certainly burn the eyes of an attacker if you get lucky. Using the small, rounded edge of a hairbrush as a striking tool can be helpful to those who don't 
have a lot of experience using their fists to punch and it will likely cause more damage if you don't already have any martial arts training. Before exiting the stairwell or elevator, this young woman should have had her keys ready in her dominant hand with the key poking out through her middle and index finger, her hand in a fist. Even with an improper strike, this will cause damage to any attacker. That's a nice easy weapon to carry that will do the damage, doesn't require specific training, and will help you stay safe out there in the big bad city. And for those of us with electronic key bobs, consider investing in some sharp jewelry bottle opener thingies to add to the key ring. Also, never forget your extended thumb forward when making a fist as this can be devastating to an eye, a, a throat, even a kidney. And then again, there is this. And then there's a link to a concealed uh, carry article that you can go and, and check out. Um, you know, good article there, I think definitely for women. I have made a choice as a husband to really not, uh, you know, want my wife out there at night. If she has to go out there at night for whatever reason, I mean, I'm either going with her or I'm sending one of the boys uh, with her so that, you know, she's not alone out there. It's definitely not something that I, I want uh, for her to, to happen. If she is out there, she is caught out there by herself and she is, you know, alone or even during like the Christmas holidays, um, she does carry mace with her. And uh, she does, she will, she will bring it out and she will have her finger on and she will, like, if anyone was looking at her, it would be kind of funny, I guess, because she has it out and ready to strike. Like her hand is on the finger to point at you and to let it fly. And so that is just one of the things that she, that, that she does to show other people like, hey, don't mess with me. And so, you know, that is something that you could possibly do as well. Um, the stickers, I'm kind of torn on the, on the stickers. Yeah, the identification, I, I, I tend to not want to put anything on there. Um, right now, I do have some sheriff uh, stickers on there. My dad, he donates to the sheriff association and, uh, you know, they send him stickers and he puts, he puts them on my vehicle. So uh, they're on there, right? Uh, but you know, uh, th there, there has been times where I've received stickers. I'm like, oh man, this would look cool on the back window. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I don't know if I want to put that on there, uh, because it does send signals. It does let people know about you. So I don't know. I mean, I understand what she's saying with the disinformation, uh, and, and all of that and, and sending those kind of signals. So, uh, you know, there's some pros and cons there. You have to really, really weigh those. Uh, definitely. Uh, it's going to, you know, like for instance, here in Houston, carry, you know, you, you have a truck and you put an NRA sticker on there. That's not going to be a big deal. I mean, there's tons of stickers or tons of trucks with that NRA sticker on there. That's not going to be a big deal. If you are more in a more liberal type uh, uh, type city, uh, yeah, that might that might say a little bit more uh, to people out there. So I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I haven't made up my mind on that when you really, really have to uh, do your uh, your decisions on that, make your decisions on that. The very beginning of the article when she's talking about it's not just millennials who are buried in their phones. It is, you know, it's everybody. There's a picture here where everyone is at waiting at a train stop. And, you know, there's it's not just millennials. It's older people. They're all on their phones except for one person uh, there. There's a couple of articles uh, linked here, a couple of links in the article that you might want to go check out. But, uh, you know, one of those things to, to, to definitely be situationally aware. If you are a parent with young kids, it might be a good, you know, you always hear about those, uh, those articles where uh, they actually talk about 
you know, go through those games, play those games with your kids about, you know, hey, did you see this when we're when we're walking? Did you see the the woman with that kid, uh, you know, in the basket? What color was his shirt? You know, those types of things. So kids are really paying attention and talking through why you do, uh, why why they should be situationally aware and, and having them practice as they are walking out of the grocery store, as you're walking out, you know, like, hey, are you paying attention to the people around you? And, and uh, you know, uh, if, if there's anybody that looks suspicious and train them as you go. So, they, you know, they get that in the, you know, in the back of their head, uh, something to be paying attention, not to live in fear. And you know, we got to be careful. You got to, you got to temper it, not to, to live in fear. And, and there might be some people, some kids you might have some kids that you might not be able to, you know, some parents out there that you tell a kid this, they would be freaking out. Um, but you do it to, you know, if you have kids that are able to understand it and, and run with it, then, you know, you help them to understand this is for just protection. And, and there are people out there that want to harm and, and do bad. And, and uh, a lot of the times if they see that you are paying attention, you they won't mess with you. And uh, so you you got to really know your kids and know how you're going to go from there and proceed. But, um, you know, definitely teaching your kids how to be situationally aware, I think, is very, very important. All right. So that's over at theprepperjournal.com. Go check that one out. Our next article comes to us from urbansurvivalsite.com. And this article is entitled 10 Signs Your Canned Food Has Spoiled. We talk a lot about um, canned food in the preparedness community. If you're getting started in preparedness, and you might well just be real new to preparedness. I mean, I know that there's new people who are coming to preparedness because just because of the podcast, you, you see it on uh, you know iTunes or some other podcast network, and you're like, okay, what's this? And uh, maybe maybe you've been listening to us for a little while, and, and you're like, okay, hey, this makes some sense here uh, to be prepared a little bit. And so food storage, when we talk about food storage, the easiest food storage to do is canned food, the cans that you buy at the grocery store. They will last, and they last longer than the expiration date that it says on there. A lot of the time that is just put on there by the company, and that is a best use date and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we have talked about that. There's been plenty of articles where canned food will last many, many, many years past the expiration date. But that doesn't mean that, you know, it cannot go bad. There are times when it does go bad. And so uh, definitely this article, you need to know these things here. And this article is very important. So I wanted to read this for you today because I know I talk a lot about canned foods. I've written a couple of articles myself that that is the first, anybody new to preparedness, that should be your first route into food storage is, is buying canned food and uh, you know knowing some recipes that you can make. Uh, that's the easiest thing to do. But I also want you to know uh, the signs of when uh, cans have gone bad because you definitely do not want to eat food that is in a can uh, that has gone bad. All right, so let's go ahead and start on this article. How do you know if your canned food has gone bad? If only it were as simple as checking the expiration date. Sorry, friends, but that expiration date is just a recommendation. In truth, canned food can spoil due to many factors other than time spent on the shelf. For example, dropping your canned food can create a hole or a leak that allows bacteria to grow. Storing your cans at the wrong temperature can cause metals to start seeping into your food. And using the wrong methods or improper hygiene while canning will doom your food from the start. This isn't to scare you into thinking that all canned food is out to give you botulism. Rather, we want to remind you to inspect your food before taking a bite. 
Once we run through the telltale signs that canned food has spoiled, you'll always know what to look for. Number one is bulging. Press on the lid of your can. Do you sense pressure or swelling? Or does the lid top pop or move up and down? These could all be signs of a serious food hazard. When bacteria breed, they release harmful toxins which cause the tin can to bulge. From these toxins, humans can contract some nasty strains of food poisoning, including the most lethal form of food poisoning called botulism. Number two is loud hissing. A soft, brief hissing sound when opening a can is fine. This is just the vacuum seal being released. However, a loud hissing sound is another sign of toxic gas caused by bacteria. If you experience this hissing, stop. Do not proceed. If you continue, you risk spreading the bacteria around your kitchen. Number three, burning liquid when open. When you open a can of green beans or tuna, there's always some liquid that pools at the top and spills out just a little bit. That's natural. What isn't natural, however, is spurting liquid that erupts like a geyser. This is a red flag that there has been an abnormal buildup of pressure inside the can, likely caused by bacteria. Corrosion. When metal cans corrode, metallic chemicals like bisphenol, a BPA, start seeping into your food while also creating holes that allow bacteria to grow. Corrosion can be caused by improper temperature storage or being covered in soot or ash that moistens the cans. To spot corrosion, look for small rusty holes in the can. Number five is dents. When a dent is made on a can, it's like a mini explosion going off on the inside. The air distribution is suddenly shifted and this can result in the can seal becoming compromised. If the seal is loosened, then air can escape and bacteria can enter affecting both the taste and safety of the food inside. Number six is leaks. Leaks are the easiest way to tell if your can has been compromised. Don't just look for liquid seeping out. Also check for sticky areas, which might be a clue that there was once a leak. If there are holes, cracks, or issues with this seal that are being enough to cause a leak, then your food has been exposed to air, bacteria, and possibly egg-laying bugs that are attracted to the can's contents. Number seven, bad smell. Smell your food every time you open a can. Obviously, rotten smells will gross you out and stop you from eating the potentially spoiled food, but also acidic or metallic smells will strike you as unnatural. On an evolutionary level, your body is designed to detect off smells. Trust your senses. Number eight, bubbles. One or two small bubbles on the surface of canned food might just be from the agitation of opening the can. But if you find a light to moderate layer of foamy bubbles, then your food has spoiled. These bubbles are caused by the release of waste or gas from the bacteria that has been partying inside the can. Treat this food like toxic waste and don't even attempt to taste it. Number nine, strange colors. Your food should be the same color going in the can as it is coming out of the can. That's the whole point of preserving in a can. Discoloration is a clear sign of contamination where it be from metals, bacteria, or air. You don't want to ingest that. Number 10, mushy or moldy looking. If there is mold in or on your canned food, it means that your food wasn't canned properly. The wrong tools or the wrong methods were used which resulted in the growth of mold that has begun to turn your food into mush. In this case, it's not enough just to scrape the mold off the top because you don't know what other hygienic or handling issues occurred during canning. 
Store your cans in a dry, cool, dark place. Ideally, you want a clean storage shed, pantry, or a basement that maintains a temperature between 40 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Most homes are around 70 degrees, which is okay, but in general, the lower the temperature, the longer your food will last. Store your cans off the ground. Leaving your canned food on the ground exposes them to condensation, floods, and temperature changes. Shelves are your friend. Physically rotate your food as often as possible. In other words, crack open the older cans first and replace them with newer cans. Don't let cans of food go forgotten in the back. If you want to learn more about home canning, check out these nine things to know before you start. When you're stockpiling for the apocalypse, canning for winter, or eating from cans on a regular basis, make sure you really ingrain these signs into your brain. Teach your partner and teach your kids these signs too. They are survival skills that could save you and your family from enduring a serious illness. All right, great article there. Um, let me see, there is a, uh, a comment here that I wanted to, to say. Uh, someone told me to do this test. Place the can in question completely underwater in a sink or bowl. Wait a minute or two and look for air bubbles coming out of the can. That is another way to make sure of a bad seal. All right, so that's a good uh, little trick there as well. Um, you know, so all these things are very, very important. One of the things, uh, I'm not going to do a lot of commentary here, but one of the things that I think uh, causes cans to fail a lot are those easy open cans, the kind that you don't need a can opener. I mean, they're very convenient, especially, you know, especially soup and Campbell's soup. Uh, some of the Campbell's soups come that way and some of the other soups come that way as well. It's just kind of like a pop-off lid. And it's very convenient, very easy. You don't have to bust out the can opener. But I think having those having those easy pop lids make it very uh, easy for the can to fail. So it's a, it's a point of a failure, an easy point of failure there. And so that's one thing that you need to, to seriously consider. If you do have a damaged can, you don't want that, the, the stuff that's inside, you don't want that going all over your uh, your kitchen. So it is better to go ahead and throw it out, you know, and waste, you know, the the dollar fifty, the dollar seventy five, the two dollar can of whatever it was, if, if you paid that much for it, uh, you know, to to make sure that you're safe and and all that. So very good information here, some tricks and tips. I hope that you uh, consider uh, canned food. I, again, I think canned food is one of uh, the best ways to start your food pantry and your food storage, and uh, it's easy, easy to do. Uh, but you know, you just just like everything else, there are some things that you need to be aware of and make sure that you know, so uh, you're, you're, you and your family aren't getting sick. So that's over at UrbanSurvivalSite.com, and there are some links here uh, on in the article that you can go check out and get a little bit more information on food storage and canning. So uh, just to welcome you to go check that out. All right, guys, thanks so much for hanging out with me. We're starting a brand new week. Episode 228 is in the books. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed it. And so looking forward to uh, a whole nother week with you. You know, if you get a chance, we'd love for you to come over to the, the podcast website, theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, and share out our episodes on social media. It's always a blessing. We make it very easy for you to, uh, to do that. And, uh, and maybe not just social media. Maybe you have some friends out there that you can share uh, just by word of mouth and point them to iTunes or, or Stitcher we, you know, or just come to the website. You can listen to it there on the website as well. They might be interested in emergency preparedness or they see all the craziness that's going on. Even talk uh, this talk about, uh, you know, all the time there's something that goes on. So 
the 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 missile alert that went off, the false alarm that went off in Hawaii, the mudslides uh, that happened, that or, you know, the things that are going on in California right now with the the mudslides. I'm actually going to I have a guest article that I'm going to be releasing on Ed that matters on Monday. So maybe by the time you're listening to this podcast, I've already released it. But uh, a great article from firsthand experience, uh, boots on the ground there about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing. Uh, there in in California with the mudslides and the floods and and, and all that kind of stuff, uh, really great article over there. And so you know when we have that, when we have the hurricane, when we have Hurricane Harvey, when we have you know stuff that's going on in in you know uh, hurricanes in in Florida, and then you know the the ice and the snow on the East Coast and and all the craziness that's going on, you know all those are opportunities for you to talk about preparedness. And maybe not use the word about, you know, prepper or survivalism or anything like that. But it is an opportunity for you to talk about, hey, you know, are you prepared if you get snowed in like some of the people are on the East Coast? Are you prepared if, you know, this happens? Are you prepared? And you're, you're pulling it from what's going on in, rural, in the real world. And so you're not, you know, you can kind of save the, uh, you know, the, hey, you know, I'm a prepper type thing and not have to go that route. And uh, that's a real easy way to get people talking about being a little bit more prepared. So uh, you might want to uh, think about that and then point them over to Prepper website uh, or to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. All right, guys. So uh, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.